What's up guys, Coach Steve here and welcome back to another episode of the Rise Method podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined with, well, it's just myself. So unfortunately, Coach Nick was a little bit unwell this week and couldn't make our podcast. I'm only flying solo in episode number nine of the Rise Method podcast. Might be a shorter episode because I might not be able to have the, the back and forth banter with Coach Nick, but hopefully you take something away from the discussion that I'll be having with, uh, well, <laughs> myself. Um, so look, I'd just like to start by saying that we are in week six of the RISE method. We've just ticked over the halfway mark and we have brand new training programs and brand new meal plans in the RISE method. So the meal plan, I spent a lot of time to upgrade the meal plan to make it more mobile friendly and to add some community features. So once you go through the setup process in the meal plan, when you add a food item or a meal or a diet to the meal plan, that actually gets added to the central plan so that everybody has access to it. Um, I'm also working on some technologies to make it so that you can connect to the central spreadsheet in the future so that whenever anybody else adds a food item or a recipe to their meal plan, you will also have access to it on your meal plan without needing to download a new meal plan. So these might be um, a little bit of foreshadowing of the future of the RISE method and what might be happening in the next round of the RISE method. The training programs have had another upgrade where you'll find some new uh, circuits in the FIT program, um, a, a different layout in the um, strength program and a few of our build programs have been minor tweaks. Now, when it comes to building muscle, the way that you know muscle really grows is through adaptation. The problem that many of us face when we are going through this adaptation phase is that we want something new and fresh and exciting. So we often go and program hop and we wanna find the latest and most exciting exercises to add to our program when we're trying to build muscle. And that might not be the best approach long-term because you don't get a chance to actually practice that movement pattern. So let's say a squat. We need to practice that squat and that might take you know four, six weeks just to practice and get better at that squat before you can actually add significant load um, or really take that squat close to failure. So that's a high intensity. And you may find as you progress over that six, eight weeks of doing the squat, you actually start to maybe choose to decrease the loads that you get a better contraction that might be in a little bit more of these advanced realms where after you've been training for a few months and years on end, you might find that you end up using less weight because you get more uh, tension on a target muscle. So like for a squat, for example, you might be doing a squat and the biggest challenge is balance or range of motion. But as you get better at a squat, uh, you might find that you get better at targeting the quads and you know how to target the quads versus targeting the glutes or targeting like the lower back when doing that squat movement pattern. So you might end up lowering the load over time so that you can continue to target the quads and you end up getting more of a quad pump because you know how to target that muscle more and more. What I was saying as I went down my little rabbit hole was that some of the programs you might not see really big changes, especially in that build program. If you need something new for motivation reasons or for excitement, I will recommend that you try a different split. So if you've been doing the upper lower split, maybe you do the push pull legs or maybe the body part split or um, you know maybe you're training at a home gym or, or such. So you can try a different split or you can make as many updates as you need to in your program and swap like for like exercises. There is, I guess, a tipping point where doing the same exercise for a period of time you start to get a bit of a, a diminishing return. So if you've been doing squats for 
three months, six months, 12 months, the exact same way, it reaches a point where it's not as much of a stimulus for growth. And I'm speaking specifically to our muscle building folks out there where you might benefit from swapping that squat to a similar exercise um, for novelty reasons, meaning that it's something new and fresh. So if you swapped out a squat where you would normally, let's say squat 100 kilos for 10 reps, you've been doing a slow lowering phase, a deep squat at the bottom, then a pause and then coming up, you've been doing that for I don't know, 12 months and you swap that into, let's say a hack squat and you did the equivalent of, let's say, 100 kilos on the hack squat, you might find that you're only able to do five reps because you need to relearn the technique. The new movement pattern is slightly different, might be a new stimulus. We go into the realm of regional hypertrophy where different areas of the muscle might get more growth, more tension, and you might find you're able to progress through that hack squat, get some new gains, some, some beginner gains again in that hack squat. Then you can go back to the squat. You might need to relearn how to do that and you get that new novelty experience uh, and you get some new gains there. So there is some benefit However, if you were to completely change the entire structure of your program, you know, you change it from like upper lower four days a week to body part split six days a week, the volumes off the chart and you change that completely down to a, a low volume, high intensity, you know, completely throw out your program. Uh, you might find problems with adaption where you might not actually see uh, solid growth because you need to relearn the program, relearn the movement patterns, um, relearn how to go through that intensity phase when you're doing the set. Uh, there's lots more variables. So it's easier to maintain a similar program, some slight tweaks, maybe a back squat to a front squat, um, or maybe a, a barbell bench press to an incline barbell bench press, some minor tweaks like that, so that you can um, get something new and exciting, maybe relearn a, a pattern, but you're still cha cha challenging that muscle so that you can get that adaptation and growth. So if you're looking at the build program, you're going, ah, oh, gee, Steve, it just hasn't changed. That's okay, it's kind of by design. You know, we don't need a very big uh, change, might be some minor tweaks. If you need to, you can make those changes or you can try something different. Um, there might be uh, some challenges in making lots of different changes over time. Now, talking about the future of the RISE method, um, lots of folks are reaching out to us asking when is the next round of the RISE method, and we're looking at the start of September being the next round. At the moment, we're looking at six-week rounds, so we are doing a 10-week challenge as the introductory challenge, honestly, to, to test how this, how this works, um, and then we are looking at the next round being a six-week round. We'll be running for six weeks. We're having a two week break and then we're running for another six weeks. So we're really embracing that rise method, that circular cyclical cycle of fitness, where we're looking at fitness in six week blocks. What could you do in six weeks, which is very similar to like a meso cycle, following a training plan, a meal plan for six weeks. Maybe we're trying to build muscle or maybe we're trying to lose weight. Maybe we're trying to get strong. Maybe we're trying to get fit in that six week block, having a short break, two weeks. And then we join for the next six week block where we might try a, a new goal. We are looking at modifying our all-star celebration, turning it into a little bit more of that um, uh, competition-like element where we might choose one individual as our uh, kind of transformation winner and that's because they're gonna win a cash prize and then also having uh, 10 other individuals who have shown uh, excellent, uh, you know, amazing effort in their progress over the six weeks and they can win a prize as well. So it's all teetering the wa uh, waters of how we can manage that out there. We're looking at modifying how we are choosing our all-stars and the uh, winners of this competition, running every six weeks, doing it as 
simply the weekly check-in. So again, it's really great results and really great uh, connection with many of you through the weekly check-in. It's really, uh, I love um, the beginning of the week where I get to sit there and read all the weekly check-ins and write an email to you guys back as well. So we're gonna continue that and that's gonna be the, the crux of how we uh, look at progress. And we're gonna expand that weekly check-in, maybe add a few more questions, maybe add in a space to upload photos. That could be progress photos or just photos of you training and such. And maybe even a space to upload a, a video, maybe for some technique work. Uh, so we're looking at ways that we can continue to improve the RISE method, add more value to you guys, um, so that you can continue with your fitness journey in this supportive community environment. So there might be a few modifications, changes as we progress into the next round, but that's gonna be starting at the start of September. We are looking at how we can implement a um, return riser um, discount. So we're going to look at ways that we can use the technology for that there and also adding a little bit of an early bird sale. So you might be looking at a pretty nice price if you are joining us for the next round, as well as um, if you're signing up early. And we're also looking at a 12 month membership. So really committing to that long term progress, you can sign up for 12 months of the rise method for a, an awesome price, um, where you get access to all six rise method rounds, you get access to all of the, the competitions of the, all the six rounds, plus you get a few extra bonuses in between each round at a great price and it, that really shows a really big commitment to your transformation you know 12 months a lot can happen in 12 months six weeks yeah we can do some really great work in six weeks but when we zoom out and look at 12 months you can commit to 12 months you will be a completely different person you'll have a completely different physique completely different fitness completely different strength if you commit to 12 months of the rise method so more about that later i guess this kind of turned into a little bit of a pitch wasn't meant to be a pitch, um, but you know we are looking at continuous improvements in what we are offering with the RISE method. And I think that really reflects what we're trying to do in the fitness space, where it's all about continuous improvement in ourselves and in a way to be a little bit reflective on almost every aspect of what we're doing. Now we speak a lot about reflection in this podcast, and that's essentially what we are trying to, to teach you guys, right? We're trying to teach uh, how to, you know, assess yourself, reflect on yourself, go through that self audits so that you can improve. No one's gonna be there for you to make those decisions at the supermarket, make the decisions in the kitchen, make the decisions in the gym. You need the skills so that you can make those decisions so that you can improve in the long term. So I wanna to touch on one post, which I saw in our Facebook social hub. And I'm not gonna point out the member, but you might know the post. Um, this member was posting some videos of themselves training and they said that they hate uh, filming themselves and posting videos of themselves training because they are self-critical and that takes them into a, a negative headspace. And I can relate to that. And that's th totally fair. I think we are all our own self, we're self-critics and we are so harsh on ourselves. Uh, but I will say that the best way to improve is to review what we're doing, is to reflect on what we're doing. And part of that is to reflect on things like our execution of the technique that we use in the gyms that we can improve. Sure, the best thing to do is to use someone like a personal trainer or a training buddy and they can watch you and they can give you some, some feedback along the way. But the best feedback is when you can make the connection between what you felt in the exercise to what you see when you do the movement. So what I do, and this is the, the, the biggest tip I can give to anybody who wants to get better at their execution, is I film almost all of my working sets. Yeah, my warm-ups are there, there, I don't count those or any practice sets, you know, as I kind of like get used to the, the movement, I don't film those, they're not important. But the actual working sets, I film those. 
90% of them don't end up anywhere other than my device. And half the time they get deleted off my device because of, you know, it might've just been really terrible set or maybe the lighting was really bad or whatever. They're gone from my device anyway. And they just, the rest of them live on my device and just some of them might end up on, on social media, you know, got to post on the gram, right? But the best thing you can do is you complete the set while you're doing the set, you might have this internal reflection. You go, oh, geez, like that rep, oh, I really felt it there. Or that rep, oh, geez, I almost lost my balance. Or, okay, I've kind of disconnected for rep number two, three, four, because I was thinking about what I'm going to do when I'm finished my session. I'm going to go have a shower and have a meal. Or what I'm going to have for, for that meal. I might be having some rice and some chicken. That's going to be really good. Uh, okay, I've, I've kind of disconnected from my set, reconnected my set on rep four, five, six. And you might see that in your footage. Once you finished your set, you watch back on the footage. Rep number one was great. Rep number two, three, four, where you're thinking about your chicken and rice after your session, weren't very great. And then when you mentally reconnect with your set, you go, oh, geez, those reps look really good. And that really good might mean that you were controlling the load better. Maybe you were nice and slow and controlled on the way down. Maybe you did a better range of motion. Maybe you did a longer pause. Um, or maybe just your balance was a little bit better. Uh, well, maybe the speed of the movement coming up was a little bit better. So there might be ways that you can see that it's a better execution. But I think we are all our biggest self-critics and that's okay. Um, when we look past that self-critiquingness and that negative self-talk, what we see on the other side is improvement. When we see where we fault, we can see what we can actually improve on and we can make those adjustments. So you might find that when you're doing a squat, you might not be able to go down as low and you might be feeling when you're doing the squat, oh geez, I'm going really deep in my squat, but you watch the video back and you know, your thighs aren't even parallel yet, let alone, you know, um, hamstrings to calves deep. And you're like, geez, I just, how am I not going deep? And then you might go, okay, well, I've seen a few people try different things. Maybe I'll try to elevate my heels on a, on a plate or a wedge or something so I can get a little bit more range of motion, or maybe I'll move the load from a back squat to a front squat, or maybe you decide to use some safety arms in a squat rack. So, you know, Hey, if I go down deeper, I'm not going to die because the bars is going to hit the, the safety arms. That, that's okay. And maybe you go a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper and you find, Hey, actually it's not that bad when I go that little bit deeper, or maybe you decide, okay, 50 kilos is a little bit too much. I can't go down as deep. I'm going to regress the exercise back down to maybe 30 kilos. And that means that you can go down deeper in that squat pattern and that might be success for you. So it's not until you reflect that you can make these decisions that you can improve when you reflect on yourself and you can get that internal reflection going, how does it feel while I'm doing the exercise? And then that external reflection, you know, post hoc, like after the fact, where you can sit there and go, okay, geez, I'm watching this video now and hey, it actually looked really great. I got some really good range of motion. Each rep looked awesome. And oh, hold on, rep number seven, oh geez, I almost fell over. Why did I almost fall over in rep seven? Because my body weight shifted onto my toes. Why was it doing that? And you can start making those rationale decisions afterwards. Now, there was a really interesting study that was highlighted by Brad Schoenfeld. If you don't already, go follow Brad Schoenfeld, one of the lead researchers um, and forward thinkers in the fitness space. And it was funny that he actually posted, made a post and highlighting a paper that was recently released about external feedback. And what this paper or, or uh, study suggested was that when we use external feedback, we see better acute and chronic responses to training. And that's a really fancy way to say things. The definition of external feedback was that they used some external um, 
like object. And that was kind of like, you know, if you're doing a push up and your arms are straight and you bend your elbows and all the way down to your chest touches the floor, that's an external feedback, right? I've got something external to feedback. And they also use uh, a bit of a coach giving them external feedback as well. Now, you might be thinking, <laughs> yeah, well, like, no shit, Steve, like, we knew that already. And <laughs> it's funny that some research is a little bit like that, where things happen in sports, in sports science, in training, where you go, well, yeah, no shit. Like, if you use the coach um, or like an external feedback, like, let's say the floor, you're doing a push up, yeah, you know that you're going all the way down because you can feel the external floor. Some people then turn that as a critique to science saying, well, yeah, like we knew that 10 years ago, it's been, you know, look at the Olympics, everybody uses a coach right now. It's not until we validate those things and continue to validate them with science that we go, okay, yes, this is true. It's not just an anecdote or, you know, hearsay of what someone might say. So the way that we can interpret this literature into something that's applied is through that external feedback, like using a device, and we all carry around, almost everybody carries around a little supercomputer in our pocket called a phone, where we can film ourselves and review that footage. Um, and if you are one to not use your phone while you're training, okay, power to you, you wanna be really old school and not use technology, but you're missing out on a really powerful way to continue to improve and leverage things like technology, like cameras to improve yourself um, and the benefit that you're trying to have, which is not get distracted by using your phone, might be uh, overcome by a little bit of you know self-discipline that you use your device for training purposes. I feel myself and I record my weights and I put my device down and I don't you know go onto social media and get distracted that way. Using that technology, yeah, again, powerful way to improve. And if you get better gains, better performance, better outcomes acutely in the session and long-term over, you know, six, eight, 12 weeks by filming yourself and never showing anybody else that video other than yourself, geez, that is a really easy way to get gains more than, um, you know, hiring a personal trainer um, or, you know, going to a fancy gym or trying to buy more equipment or trying to find the, the best supplement in the world or, you know, paying for courses or whatever you decide to do to try to improve yourself. If you just film yourself, that is almost a free way to get better at things. And if that's a free way, just take it, take it, film yourself, take it, um, and then reflect. And geez, I look back at videos of myself, you know, 12 months, 24 months ago. And at the time I thought I was God's gift of lifting. And I look back, I'm like, oh, Jesus, that wasn't great. You know, as in like the range of motion wasn't good. The control wasn't there. I was shaky. I was all over the place. I was like too heavy, too much. Like could have gone lighter, uh, could have gone a better execution, could have braced better, could have had more control of the feet or the hands, whatever you do. So that is a way that we are continuously improving where we might look at ourselves in the past and go, oh, it's kind of like if you were on social media, let's say like 10 years ago, um, when you know Facebook was just becoming a thing and you look back at some of the posts you made then and you almost cringe, um, then you know that you've kind of developed as a human or an, as an adult where you go, oh, geez, I can't believe I used to do those things or say those things. We know that we've improved. And it's the same thing when we look at our training footage where we go, oh, geez, like I used to do deadlifts like that. Or I used to do squats like that. And I thought that it was great. Now I'm even better. Hey, I've improved. And you, you may not see that in like a mirror or on the scales or in the way that you view yourself. But when you look at that footage, you go, yeah, I've improved because I'm training better. And that, that is one way of to see progress is technique execution. So be cautious that you are not, not using technology, <laughs> meaning that you are avoiding things that will actually improve yourself. And take a moment to pause when you do have that self-criticism 
and you get to decide if it's negative self-talk or if it's something that you could use to improve. And of course, that's what we're talking about with training. It's also applied with nutrition and also something that we can apply to our life, where if you are negative to yourself, that negative self-talk, you get to pause, you get to have that moment and think, okay, is this something that I'm going to use to improve myself or something that I'm going to use to beat myself up? You decide those things. Talking about the weekly check-ins, which is something I love to read. So if you aren't already, go do the weekly check-in. Uh, let me know what you're up to. Let me know what your challenges are, what your wins are, and all the good stuff. There are a number of individuals who are sick this week or are facing some sicknesses. And I can uh, speak well about that because uh, my boy is sick uh, again. <laughs> so the joys of having um, a one-year-old and a two-year-old uh, that partly go to daycare, partly meaning that they are sick and they don't go to daycare, <laughs> is that you also get sick as well. And when you are sick, uh, that throws a curveball in your training strategies because you might have a plan. You go, yeah, I'm going to train four days a week. It's going to be X, Y, and Z every, every one of these days. I'm going to go in the gym and train at X amount of weight because that's what I did last time. That's what I expect in my performance. Then you get to the gym and you go, well, shit, <laughs> I'm not lifting you know, 50 kilos, 100 kilos, 200 kilos today because I feel like crap, I barely slept, I've got a crocky voice, I've barely eaten, um, I just don't feel well. Hey, you've turned up to the gym, that's awesome, that's a win, but you can't expect the performance to be the same. So what do you do? Let's talk about it. So firstly, yes, we've spoken about this in the podcast in the past, what to do if you are sick or feeling unwell. Firstly, what we've learned from COVID is that if you are unwell, coughing, sneezing all over the place, it's probably not a good idea to go to a public gym and cough and sneeze all over the equipment in that environment um, and, and you know spread the love to everybody else. Probably not a good idea. So if you are really sick in that sense, probably best that we avoid public training environments um, just so that we can be kind to other humans. Next, you can certainly train, you know, uh, depending on the level of sickness you are, you know, if you are on a scale of, you know, a minor cold to like the man flu, <laughs> uh, that is very different in how we respond to are we going to train or not. So if you are so sick that you're stuck on the couch, stuck in bed, and you just can't get up, okay, you're not training, you're not even getting your steps in, Jeez, you're, you're good luck even going and showering that day. Okay, that's problem number one. If you are still functional in life, hey, you can get up, oh, I'm just feeling a little unwell, and maybe a cough and a sneeze here or there. You might choose to go and get your steps up. You might choose to do some activity at home. Like I've got a home gym in my garage, so I train, no dramas there. You can certainly do some training if you've got the right space for it. What do you do when you're training? Okay, well, you just need to scale it back. We know that some training is better than nothing. So, you know, like a five out of 10 effort still has some muscle gains and some strength gains available to us. We don't need to go in the gym and expect 10 out of 10 effort. We're not gonna go and squat, you know, the, the personal best or go for a rep PR or something. We can scale that back down so that we can do some training. The main priorities in terms of physical activity is number one, we wanna get some steps in. Again, we can't expect to be doing a personal best in our step count that day, but we can scale it down. So instead of doing 10,000 steps, maybe do 8,000 or 5,000 or heck 3,000, that's better than 2,000. So we're still getting some steps in and you may find that doing some physical activity helps you to feel good. You know, you release some of those endorphins and it feels great in your body. The other priority of course, is to look after ourselves nutritionally. That means to have plenty of water, um, to have a range of macronutrients, trying to have whole foods, you know, eating lots of fruits and vegetables when we are unwell, because when we're unwell, it's probably not a good time to be having, you know, some of those 
hyper-processed, hyper-palatable foods, even though they make us feel good in the time. But if you're unwell and you're sitting there eating a pizza and some ice cream and you have a glass of wine, ah, probably not the best time to be having those things. If anything, you want to nourish your body so you can fight off this you know, infection, disease that you have. So if you're unwell, you can certainly do some things, but we but it's wise to scale them back and to modify our own expectations. So if you write a plan for yourself, maybe you're not following the RISE Method program, you write a plan for yourself and maybe it's percentage-based and you know, okay, week three, it's 85% of my one rep max, I'm expecting this result, you might find, oh, you might not be able to do that. So you need to have that order regulation to modify the plan yourself. That is very similar to my response to uh, you know any injury. So if you have any pain or discomfort when you're training in life, you might need to just auto-regulate and scale it down. Um, and same with other things that may happen. You're stressed at work, auto-regulate, scale it, make it achievable. Uh, maybe you're on your menstrual cycle, auto-regulate, scale it, make it achievable. Got a busy day, short in time, auto-regulate, scale it, make it achievable. And that's okay. That's okay to auto-regulate and scale it uh, because that makes fitness part of our life where we go, hey, I'm not gonna do 10 out of 10 effort every single day. I can't expect that every single day. We know that performance fluctuates about 10% um, on any particular day, given our environment and the factors leading up to the event. So we can embrace that and go, well, man, like I'm not gonna beat myself up because I can't squat my 100 kilos for 10 today. I'm happy with an eight rep on 100 kilos for a squat. Great, that, that, that's a win in my books. I'll make note of that in my logbook. So let's say you're using a spreadsheet or some folks who are using paper out there or however you're recording your progress, make note of that saying, oh, I felt poor today or felt pretty average. And these are some things that you might see in future training programs in the RISE method where you might have a little bit of a questionnaire before you train, like a readiness scale. So how ready are you to train on a scale of one to 10? A 10 out of 10, great, do your program, go wild. But if you're maybe a six out of 10, ooh, maybe it's wise to scale back slightly. Maybe you, instead of doing 10 reps, aim for eight reps. Or instead of doing five sets, aim for four sets. So just scale it appropriately, but I digress. We had one question on the Facebook group from Joe. Joe Wallace, one of our previous all-stars from a couple of weeks ago, and Joe's been kicking goals in his training. And he asked just kind of an open question about muscle soreness. And I think it was a bit of like a, a joke on the side saying, uh, you know, DOMS are one thing where we had that delayed onset muscle soreness, but what's it called when we have muscle soreness instantly? Is it just called muscle soreness? And well, yeah, that, that, that's what it is, muscle soreness. Um, and I'm going to say in context, Joe meant it as a, as a bit of a joke. Joke? <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Um, but, you know, we'll talk about it. If you are training and you're experiencing muscle soreness, in other language, muscle pain, joint pain, you know, feeling discomfort in our muscles, in our body while we're doing exercise. Of course, part of it is for growth. You know, if you are training your biceps and after your set, you have like a sore bicep, like, geez, you've trained your bicep, congratulations. You have that pump experience, you got a, bit, a little bit of a um, decrease in our function afterwards. Like if you <laughs> train your biceps really hard and you go to have a drink and you're trying to bend your elbow, you're like, oh geez, your hand's shaking all over the place. Great, tick, you're ticking all the boxes for what we know causes muscle growth um, and, and gains to occur. However, there is that tipping point where it becomes too much and too much negatively, negatively impacts future training on that day. So future sets and then future bouts of training in the future. So if you are 
on your first exercise, you're doing squats and you train them so hard that you've just absolutely annihilated your quads and your glutes and your lower back muscles. And then your next exercise is like a lunge and you just can't lunge, that's it, done. The next exercise is a leg extension, nah, that's it. Oh, I might as well just call it for the day because I can't do any of the exercise. You've gone too hard, right? Your muscle soreness is so high that it's, it's too much. Or after your leg session, if the next day you just can't walk, maybe it's too much. Or maybe you train legs twice a week on a Monday and a Thursday. And from your session on Monday, after Tuesday, after Wednesday, now Thursday, if you still haven't recovered ready for the next session, you might've done too much on the Monday, or we can talk about uh, your recovery factors. You know, are you sleeping well? Are you eating well? Those types of things. But it might be because your volume is too high on Monday that on Thursday, you just can't perform. So we need a way to reflect on how we are going to measure if it's too much too soon. And that is the, that in a nutshell is the, the, the main way that we injure ourselves and experience pain. We're doing too much too soon. How do we, how do we measure this? We can simply self-reflect and go, okay, this pain, this, this discomfort, this dis-ease that I'm experiencing, how would I rate it on a scale of one to 10? Ten, uh, one being nothing, 10 being maybe the, the worst pain we've experienced in our life. Where does it rate? This is a really subjective thing, way to internalize it. If it is less than a five out of 10, if you rate this soreness in your quads or your hamstrings, in your bicep as let's say a two out of 10 or three out of 10, oh, it's, it's there, it's sore, but it's manageable, no biggie. Great, happy days. That is something that we can expect when we are training. We can expect when we have an injury that we're recovering from. So if you have lower back pain from an injury, if you are doing you know, movements that are more associated with discomfort in your, in your back, let's say like deadlifts and squats. If you're experiencing some aching and pain in that and you rate that as like a three out of 10, great, that's normal. That's part of the recovery process. That's part of the muscle building process. That's something we should expect. However, if that pain, you start rating it as maybe a six, seven, an eight, a nine out of 10, you know, it's, it's starting to become really impactful in your training in the moment and then in the future, maybe it's doing too much too soon. Maybe the intensity is too high, maybe the load is too high, um, or maybe you are just doing too much in terms of volume. So if you're doing, let's say, a um, straight, leg dead, straight leg deadlift or a stiff leg deadlift, you're feeling the hamstring stretch and it's a burning sensation. You do one set, happy days. You do two sets, happy days. You do three, four, five sets. And on the fifth set, that's it. <laughs> You've overdone it and now it's an eight out of 10 pain. Okay, maybe next time the five sets are too much, maybe do four sets instead. That's just a way that you can rate it on a scale of one, one to 10. This is again, just a great tool to use to help to make those decisions in our training where you go, okay, next time, if I did um, five sets on the straight legged deadlift, that's too much. I'm disabled. I can't do my, um, uh, let's say back extension on Thursday because my straight legged deadlift on Monday just wipes me out after five sets that I can't even recover for Thursday then your Thursday session is, is thrown, thrown out of the water. But if you did, let's say three sets on the Monday, then you recover by Wednesday, come Thursday, great hamstrings are ready for another set of hamstring exercises. Then you could do your back extension um, or your good morning, um, or maybe a leg curl or whatever you start to do to train your hamstrings because they're ready to go again. Now we had another question on the forum by an individual and I won't name their name, uh, but it was about the pelvic floor. And we spoke about the pelvic floor over the last uh, couple of weeks. And this question was, 
if I lose control of my pelvic floor during a deadlift, does that mean that the weight is too heavy and I should scale it back? Now, we do need to touch on the semantics so that we are all talking about the same thing. So firstly, lose control of my pelvic floor. The pelvic floor makes up part of that intra-abdominal cavity. So we're talking about the pelvic floor at the bottom, the transverse abdominus around the midsection, and at the top, we have the diaphragm. So all three of those muscles connected make like a circle, and that wraps around like our organs and creates the abdominal cavity. So when we're talking about the pelvic floor, we might be referring to the entire connection of that circle because all those muscles kind of bleed into the other muscles. So it's hard to say one group, the pelvic floor, and again, the pelvic floor is, I think, six different muscles to say, okay, I'll lose control of my pelvic floor because you might be referring to the entire package of that. And then to say, I'm losing control of my pelvic floor, you might mean that you're losing control of your midsection, your brace, which might be just a different kind of challenge, okay? So that's the, the first comment we need to make is that if you mean lose control of your pelvic floor by losing the brace around your midsection, so as you go to do your deadlift or your squat, you just find that, you know, you just can't really keep that brace around the midsection. That might mean, yes, that you're going too heavy. It might be a positional problem where you just don't know how to maintain that brace or it's a practice problem. So as you reach a certain load, you just don't know how to maintain that technique and your technique starts to break down. And that is totally normal. Uh, you know, even in, in elite powerlifters, when they go to do a one rep max, their technique isn't the best technique in the world. That's where technique falters because we're, we're using, using a load that is above our capacity at the time. So these folks, powerlifters who are practicing one rep maxes over and over again, they might have a um, error rate of, you know, maybe 97, 98% of their one rep max, that's the error margin. Whereas us more normal folks who don't, um, who aren't athletes full-time in our lives, who aren't practicing one rep maxes every time we go into the gym or training at high intensities every single time, our error rate might be 75% of our max or maybe 80% of our max or maybe 85. So what that means is as we go closer and closer to our limit, that's when technique starts to break down and falter. And that technique, that positional awareness might be losing the brace first. So that's the first thing we need to appreciate. The next thing is we can definitely talk about the pelvic floor itself. And if you're losing control of the pelvic floor, we need to ask a question about uh, leakage and, and discharge, and especially folks who have had children who've been pregnant, maybe have seen some changes in their pelvic floor. And you know, when they sneeze or cough, they might have some discharge. Yes, that is some dysfunction in the pelvic floor. Either it is quote weak, however we define that, or quote tight, however we define that. More broadly, there's some sort of dysfunction in that area. And by improving control of the pelvic floor, you might see improvements in that, that discharge. Now, the way we can solve that or solve both those problems of potentially losing control on the pelvic floor is to, yes, lighten the load. And when I refer load, I'm referring to the weight on the bar, how heavy it is, and then also the intensity, so how close you get to failure. So your one rep max might be 100 kilos. So if you put 100 kilos on the bar, that's when you have some dysfunction in your pelvic floor. Okay, too much load. Or you could put 80 kilos on the bar and you try to go for like six reps, seven reps or eight reps. You know, that's when we're getting close to failure and you get the same experience, even though the weight isn't as heavy. So we need to target it from both sides. That's what we refer to as load, where it is proximity to failure as well as the intensity on the bar. So we might need to reduce those things until we can get into a position where we are in control 
And then as we practice that more, so let's say you were to scale it back to an eight out of 10 effort or 80%, you slowly increase that maybe 85%, 90, you get closer and closer to failure and you try to maintain that control. And that control, you may need to go through some self uh, discovery on how to maintain that. Ideally, you wanna visualize your pelvis as I guess flat and then your rib cage as, as flats. So those two kind of imaginary lines between your pelvis being neutral or flat or equal and then your rib cage being neutral or flat or equal. So that's how we wanna imagine it. If you were to, let's say, really arch your back and puff out your chest and stick your butt out, you know, we can, you can visualize these two lines not being parallel anymore. They're kind of like pointing forwards. And then if you were to flex forward, like you're doing a sit up, you can imagine these two lines kind of moving the other way. This is how we want to visualize it, that they're kind of stacked on top of each other. Now, of course, you can't perfectly make it stacked every single time. You're not going to get the you know, level out and try to measure your pelvis in that, in that sense. But that's how we want to visualize that stacking. Next, you might benefit from a little bit of a, a lift through those muscles that help you to stop your pee. That's a, uh, the, the, the easiest way to describe the pelvic floor. We're trying to use those muscles to stop our pee. You might see some benefit. And you may benefit from experiencing the difference between the muscles that stop um, number one and the muscles that stop number two. So if you kind of feel the two differences, maybe you're doing it right now while you listen to this podcast, try to squeeze the muscles that stop number one, you, you peeing, and then the muscles that stop number two, uh, you pooping. <laughs> so uh, try to feel the difference between those uh, two experiences. Now, what we're trying to feel uh, is really a, a feeling of both because that's you know we're starting to encompass all the pelvic floor but if you're getting discharged mainly through uh the the front you may benefit from contracting those muscles and practicing those that contraction more once we get that lift feeling up then we can think about so that's the pelvic floor the bottom great then then we can think about the wrapping around the outside transverse abdominis uh, and that could be a sensation of coming in so imagine like that you're not just purely sucking in like like sucking in through your midsection it's almost like you're uh, trying to flex your abs in a way and um pulling the belly button in and it's almost an in and down sensation so it's the meeting of the pelvic floor coming up and the transverse abdominus kind of coming in and the sensation of a little bit of like a down feeling it's not really coming down because the transverse abdominus comes in and it's kind of like wearing a weightlifting belt. That's the transverse abdominis around our midsection. And we're trying to have that sensation of coming in. The diaphragm, we all breathe. Hopefully you're listening to this and you're breathing right now. Most of the time diaphragm, not an issue because we're breathing great, happy days. We don't need to think about the diaphragm doing its job. So that's when we're thinking about bracing through the midsection. You can think about it internally where you're going, okay, I need to feel this sensation of pelvic floor up, transverse abdominis in, or you think of a more abstract, okay, these imaginary lines with my rib cage and my hips and trying to have them equal. Now, we can also think of it externally and try to have that external feedback. We film ourselves and see if our body is changing shape as we squat and we're losing that brace. Um, or <laughs> there is just ways that we can not think about it and use something externally like discharge to see if we are maintaining that brace where we go, okay, Am I able to do these things? Yes or no, these things aren't happening. Good, everything is in line. But when it happens, okay, I would have lost my brace then. I had a question when I was teaching at my fitness course, I had my uh, Cert 3 folks. And we're talking about knee valgus, when the knee comes in when you squat. And one student asked, oh, like, you know, surely when you're training and as you get better at training and lifting heavier weights, that 
knee valgus or the knee coming in stops happening. And I said, well, yeah, I completely agree. Where for me, if you, dear listener, was training with me in a gym, I wouldn't be cueing you for knee valgus as in to drive your knees out or use a, you know, a little booty band or you know any other strategy that you might do to get the knees over the toes. As we get better with lifting weights and lifting heavier weights, your body has to start doing that movement to start stacking all the joints so that you get power. And that's when everything is in line, that's when we can create force. So it's something that happens as we get better at training. So in a way, as you get better at training, you get better at bracing and you no longer need to cue or think about bracing. So if you are in this intermediate to advanced trainee category where you've been training for some time, you might watch videos back on yourself and you're like, oh, I'm really worried about my brace. And I might go, don't worry, man. Like your brace is perfect because you've learned how to do it. Because if you didn't learn how to do it, you wouldn't be able to lift any loads. You wouldn't be able to lift your body weight or deadlift twice your body weight. You wouldn't be able to do those things unless you learned how to brace. So it's a little bit of a catch 22 where you can worry about it. What's my brace doing? What's my technique doing? Stress about it. Or just focus on lifting heavier and those things will work themselves out. Because if you didn't do those things, you wouldn't be able to get that improvement in your performance. So two ways to think about it. There's a time and place, certainly, to think about really being micro and going, okay, we need to brace like this or get our knees over toes like this. And we need to use external cues to make that happen. And there's other times to think more macro going, hey, let's not worry about those things. Let's focus on just improving the execution, make the movement more smooth, more in control, more balanced. And those technique improvements will happen naturally. And in a way that appeal to naturalism uh, can be beneficial because each one of our bodies are different. Like my thigh length versus my shin length is different to yours. My hip anthropology, where the way it sits is different to yours. My body weight, my body shape, my body size is different to yours. So I will squat and deadlift and bench press and do these movements differently to the way you do. So there's no point in me going, hey, the best way to, dead, to do a squat is to externally rotate your hips to 35 degrees, not 34, not 36, 35 degrees, so you can optimally perform the squat. Ah, that doesn't make sense because everybody will be different. So if we just focus on getting better at doing the movement, as in we have more control, we uh, go deeper in the movement, more range of motion, we are able to lift more load, do more reps, do more total volume, great. Everything's gonna work itself out, but I digress. Folks, I'd like to finish by celebrating our All-Stars for the week. So we have five again for this week. So we have Rebecca Wells, and she's been really active on places like Instagram and on our social hub, posting lots of food uh, and also really being really encouraging of our members and also doing the weekly check-ins, which is really cool to read. So congratulations to Rebecca, one of our All-Stars. Next, we have Rosalind Woods. Woodsy, who has been doing all of her weekly check-ins. So congratulations to uh, Rosalind and really active on both our social hub and on our Facebook group as well. Really excited about our hashtag team fit program, doing all those circuits and definitely seeing some improvements in her fitness. So congratulations. Terry, Terry's been, uh, Terry Campbell, one of our all-stars of the week. He's been really active on our social hub. And I liked uh, Terry because a little bit quiet at the start of the challenge, didn't really see what he was up to. And then now he's being really active on our, in our community. And that really highlights the all-stars of the week. So it's not about what you've done uh, cumulatively over the last um, five weeks of the RISE method. It's all about what we do in this week. So Terry's really shown us this week, kicking goals, he's taking some gym selfies, he's overcoming some challenges, um, and he's been really supportive in the community. So thank you to Terry. Next, we have Stephen, 
VLAN. Steven, great name, love it. Um, but Steven's been uh, posting a lot about his steps and starts to be more active in our Facebook group. Very similar to Terry, who required at the start of the challenge. He was really excited to join the challenge, um, sign up a little bit late. I think he was traveling, um, but then now really putting some effort into it. So again, all-star of the week. And then finally, we have Annette Aston, and Annette has been training for a longer run, a 50-kilometer run. I believe this was the week that she completed that run. Um, but beyond that, she's been really active on our Facebook group, posting lots of photos of her food, of photos of her self-training, and of course, active on our um, social hub and members area and doing lots of the weekly check-ins. So folks, there's always time for you to be one of our all-stars, even if you, uh, you know, fallen off the wagon at week one, week two, week three, and here we are at week six, and you're like, okay, this is the week for me. You too can be one of our all-stars. Just show us what you're up to. You can post about it on Facebook or Instagram. You can post about it on our social hub. You can do the weekly check-ins and just tell us what you're, what you're doing, what you're up to, um, and you too might be a all-star for the week. Prizes for our all-stars, we are, refunding your entry fee so you get 50 bucks back which is awesome um, and then also you'll be sent a prize pack to the value of about 150 bucks we've got some merch some goodies some supplements sponsored by max and maxine um, and a little handwritten note from yours truly so you two can be an all-star and in the future our all-stars might be something a little bit different so folks, that's it for episode number nine of the Rise Method podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know and we'll catch you next week for episode number 10. And hopefully Nick is feeling a little bit better. She'll come and join us for that episode. See you guys.